Hello everyone, I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to cpeonline.org, and to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We've been considering the truth of the new birth, being born again. John and 1 John gives us three tests for this reality. The born-again person loves God and loves what God loves. The born-again person moves into obedience and away from disobedience. And the born-again person has a new mind to know God's ways and God's will. It's a practical truth with practical applications and powerful ones too, as we'll see today. We're growing, we're babes, but the one who leads us in this education is the Holy Spirit. He makes this word come alive to us, and what we hear is the sound of our Father speaking to us. The sound of our Savior speaking to us. The voice of the Holy Spirit illuminating the revelation of His Word to us. And we have a discernment. We don't need someone to come along and say, I'll tell you what it means. Ah, you believe me. I'll tell you, everybody else has missed this. It's been missed for ages, but there's been a new light that shined upon me, and I'll tell you what, no, no. This anointing, it says, remains. It remains. And it's remained on any true child of God ever since the day that the gift of regeneration was given to men. This is what the regenerate man looks like then. He looks the same on the outside, but on the inside, everything has changed. His view of himself has changed. He's no longer his own. He's owned by God as a child is owned by his father. John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Now we are the children of God. That's ownership. Now we are the children of God. That's who we are. He's our father. Changes your view of yourself. Changes your view of the world as well. It no longer appeals to him. It appeals to him less and less. Let's put it that way. He loves God and he loves God's people. He feels himself at odds with the world and he now begins to work to keep himself from its influence and its taint. He wants to be holy and he wants to be obedient. He has a new discernment and a new understanding that's been given to him and it can only be explained because the Spirit of God is opening his eyes. My friends, when a person has been born again of God, they don't put their head in the sand, their head comes up out of the earth and they begin to study all the things around them, but now with the insight of the Spirit of God speaking through them. The whole of his tastes and opinions and purposes and intents have changed. You say he has a new bias in life. He has a new affinity. He has a new attraction or gravitational pull in his life where he sees that Christ is the answer to all things for him. His all in all. So radically has that person been changed that he cannot understand it in any other way. He cannot understand it in any other way than to say that he's a new creature. He's been born again. He's been raised from the dead. He's been made a partaker of the divine nature. This is what he's been. He's been regenerated. Why is this doctrine of regeneration, this wonderful doctrine of regeneration, neglected in the church today, and it has been? There was different periods of time in the history of the church, and when God begins to move upon the church by spirit, and this theme rises up, you'll figure out wherever there's been a great movement of revival, a reformation that's taken place in the church, at the core of its preaching and teaching is this doctrine of the regenerate man. But when it diminishes and starts falling away and we go long seasons without the renewal of God's Spirit upon the church, we stop preaching about this thing. The question is why? 
There are two pillars we said to salvation, this pillar of justification in which God makes a legal declaration of our lives that we have been forgiven of our sins and covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's a declaration that God makes in heaven. It's up there and it stands for us in heaven. But the other pillar of salvation is this doctrine of regeneration where God comes down to earth and He comes right into our hearts and He transforms us so that we're new creatures. Now, the doctrine of justification is one that still, to some extent, although weakly at times, is being taught in our churches today. But the problem with, and it's not a bad problem, but let's just acknowledge it, the matter of the doctrine of justification is there's no way to test it. There's no way to kick the tires of the doctrine to see whether it's rolling along. But the doctrine of regeneration, you can test the tires, you can kick the wheels and see if they're on the, on the wagon that we're claiming to live in or if they're wobbling. So we have taught elements of the doctrine of justification, forgiveness of sins. It's taught. Restoration to a peace in a relationship with God. It's taught. A radically and powerfully change and transform life that becomes evident to all as a sign of our salvation. Not taught so much. Not elucidated very much in our churches. Why again? Well, because someone came along and kicked those tires and found out that they were flat. That they didn't answer. That it wasn't reflected in their life. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. There's the command for the Christian. Take the test of faith. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you are disqualified. And we might take the test and say, well, have you been awakened? We've been doing that. Have you been given the gift of repentance? We've been doing that. Have you been granted the gift of saving faith in Christ? We've been doing that. Have you turned to follow Him? We've been doing that. But ultimately, the test is regeneration. Have you been born again? Are these genetic markers that we just spoke about expressing themselves increasingly as you mature in the life that you have received from God Himself? Are you growing in these ways? See, an individual can claim that they've prayed a prayer, or they believed a certain truth, and that they're going to heaven. They can claim the prosperity of heavenly glory, and they can claim that somehow now they stand in a place of earthly blessing, and then they're presented with this need to take this test, the test of a growing obedience, a growing and purifying love for God, and increased discernment of God's will and God's way, and if they don't recognize the impulses of these things within themselves, well, then they might just stop talking about that doctrine. They might let go of it because it indicts them and it convicts them. This is a doctrine that has with it an inward principle that it leaves behind as a marker in our lives, a power that transforms us. And if that principle isn't evident within us, if that power isn't expressed from us, well, then we might just walk away from the doctrine. Instead, what we might teach instead is ethics, rules, patterns of behavior, ways and rules in which you conduct yourself to get your children or family to behave in a certain way, right? Systems and procedures. You might pick a few pet things in the Scripture that you choose to be the things that you'll put your focus on that show that you're really a good person and you'll just become, those will be the things you'll hone and develop a little Phariseeism in these areas. Some person says, well, no, what my test is is that I live with complete license. I can do whatever I want because I believe that God is gracious and accepts me just the way I am. That's the new test. Don't you believe God accepts you the way you are? So just accept the way you are as well. I live under His grace and that becomes the new doctrine. 
maybe disciplines or some behavior modification. So a person says, I'll just try a little harder. I'll be a little more moral. I'll attend church more often. I'll pray a little more. I'll, I'll create some accountability groups for others and myself. I'll get some counseling. I'll read a book that can give me some strategies to modify the way I'm acting here. I know, I'll just accept that we're all very flawed people. And I'll remind myself that God's grace makes up all the difference for my mediocrity. Of course, that's what grace is all about, isn't it? And where is this doctrine of a holy, transformed, and changed life that gives witness to the salvation of God to the uttermost? This is the irony of John, 1 John. When John wrote this letter, he wrote it to encourage discouraged believers. Other individuals had left them, declaring that they had the true and saving faith. And these early Christians were unsettled, and they were worried that they maybe were missing something important. John wrote to them to give them a test that they could take to demonstrate that they had truly been born again of God. A test of obedience, a test of love, a test of discernment. And upon taking that test, they could say, I am, I am, I see it. I see what God is doing in my life. I am a true, born-again child of God. And the irony of the book is this, that the one letter in the New Testament that probably was written to be the most encouraging letter of all, written by the apostle of love, providing these gentle tests for God's children, is oftentimes now the most discouraging letter that the church can take up and study in its present hour. Because many presuming upon a profession take the test and find that they fail to manifest the DNA of a born-again child of God. But we have to take the test. We cannot deny the doctrine. So what would it look like, very quickly, if the church once again began to claim this doctrine and teach it boldly and teach it under the power of the Holy Spirit? What would be the result that we might see expressing itself in the Christian church of North America? If we teach that doctrine, let me suggest to you what I think we'd see in the churches. One, we would see a purging of false professors from the life of the church. Not entirely, but in many ways, a purging of false professors from the church. When we required and called out for a life of a regenerate being. Second, what would take place is you would see that we'd have people who have long standing within the church coming to meet Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time. You'd see elders and board members and deacons and the leader of the women's auxiliary group and people who are heading up various programs discovering that they're not born again, being wonderfully saved. And by the way, if you study the history of the church, this is what happened when this doctrine was preached in the past. After the first great awakening, there settled upon the church kind of a cultural pattern of behavior, and the Methodist church grew to quite an extent through the first great awakening that was led by John Wesley. But the church has recognized at some point in time that people were just following the trends, and they began to preach this doctrine of regeneration, and they began to call people to come before this test, and if they couldn't bear witness that this was in their life, that they should remove themselves from the roles of the church. And in a period of about 10 years, the Methodist churches shrunk to about a third of what they were. And then God poured out a revival upon the church in the second great awakening. And men began to be born again and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. So yes, there would be a purging. Then lost people would be saved. 
I think the other thing that would take place is there would be a strengthening of the witness of the gospel rising from the church because ultimately the witness of the gospel stands upon two great testaments or facts that we give witness to. One is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the declaration of the... Jesus Christ has died for our sins and risen from the grave. It's the fact, it's the great apologetic of the New Testament church. But we have one other one. Not only has He risen from the dead, but He gives His people resurrection life. He changes us. He makes us something that you can't explain naturally. And when we lose that argument, we really lose the other. We lose both. So when this doctrine is once again preached, people lay hold to this wonderful truth of the regenerate life that comes, the resurrection life that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are strengthening our witness of the great facts upon which we bring forth the testament of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. The last impact would be this. The struggling, weakened, true child of God who, like this church that John was writing to, are susceptible to suggestions and are equivocating and thinking that maybe they don't have what it takes. That struggling child of God, that struggling believer would be brought under the great comforts of the expressions of the regenerate life in them. What boldness rises up from us when we claim our rightful place as the born-again children of God. What assurance in our witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ when we see His resurrection life springing up from us. Encouragement as well. That will be ours. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Bread of Life ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There you can also contact us with requests for this or other messages. Please join us in our next broadcast. Until then, may God bless you.